HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is presented by Henry's Wine and Spirit. Welcome to the Grape Nation, your weekly wine journey. Our guest is Jonelle Falner. How'd I do? We'll talk to Jonelle about the new generation of Psalms. We'll talk about Atomics and more. We'll taste a field blend from the Doro Valley for our weekly wine sip. I'm your host, Sam Ben Ruby. Stay with us for the Grape Nation on the Heritage Radio Network. We bring wine to the people. All right, from Manila to Japan, and finally New York City, Jonel Falner landed in the Big Apple to pursue his love of wine after a stint in fashion and being swept up by the wine culture in Japan. He worked his way through 1-5 Hospitality and the Nomad before running the wine program at one of the country's hottest restaurants. Jonel is an advanced SOM, studying for his MS currently. He is a Wine and Spirits Best New Sommelier from 2018, so fresh off of that. And he is the head sommelier at Atomics in New York City. Welcome to the Great Nation, Jonel. Thanks for having me, Sam. Thanks for coming in. And I want to give people a little context of who you are. So take a few minutes to talk to us about your journey in life and wine that got you to that circuitous route to New York and becoming the head psalm at Atomics. Atomics. Sure. Yeah. So uh, it's, it's a fairly short story, actually. Um, but I, I was born and raised in Manila. I um, spent all my life over there. Not a big wine-drinking city yet. Um, yet is a, the key word there that I'm hoping to change in the future. But um, graduated with a, uh, with a degree in business um, and then just got really interested in what else was outside, you know, the city that I grew up in, the country, country I grew up in, and kind of decided to see 
Well, was outside. So actually, New York, shortly after college, for six weeks, sort of more in a vacation-style format, was my first foray into just seeing what was out there. Got inspired by that, and then landed in Japan um, for a year and a half doing fashion and retail, which was How just... do you just land in Japan? I <laughs> That's mean, true. You know, it's yeah. not around... That's true. What, well, what, what pushed you towards that? Yeah, well, we got scouted out um, during our senior year of college, so um, a big company, uh, Fast Retailing, was... Um, sort of attracting global recruits for like a global program that they were starting off. Um, and so that was really exciting because they were picking only just a couple of people from each country. So I thought that was a, a worthy challenge and, you know, something to, just something fun to do um, outside of um, sort of the school confines. Right. Um, and so took a shot at it and got through. And so there was a bit of time, um, a couple of months before we actually had to start leading me to uh, New York for, you know, a short stint right? and just really relaxing and taking in the city for the first time, you know, as a, as a 20 year old, which was, what pretty, year was this? This was back in 2011. Okay. Yeah. So that was a, that was a really magical time. It was summer, you know, not like the winter we're having now where it's, you know, uh, everybody's covered up is the complete opposite and just you know being being fresh out of college straight in new york city was probably one of the best things walk um, around everywhere yeah, yeah. I, I took over my my uncle's apartment um in Stytown, and that was like the best thing ever you could just walk around everywhere i'm like oh my gosh like what is this city all about so promptly fell in love with new york but then had to ship out um after to take on this uh, new challenge in japan so did that another wonderful experience learned so much um, over there, but really fell in love with, with food over there. Um, just because every single, you know, street corner you turn, there's something, you know, happening, awesome food that's being cooked. Um, whether it's in, you know, a proper restaurant or just like a neighborhood joint. Um, so just kind of fell in love with that there. And of course the wine uh, culture over there, I wasn't really paying attention, but I was surely drinking it with a, with friends, peers, and you know, the, the bosses as well. Right. Um, and just kind of had that in mind, um, that when it was time to move um, move out of Japan, I wanted to move back to New York because I really hadn't gotten enough of it um, yet at that point in time. Where's family at this point? Are they influencing you to go, stay, do what you want? A little bit of both. Uh, family is all back in Manila. I do have a sister who's in Chicago. Um, but they, just because the culture, um, I guess the wine culture in Manila is not really the, there yet, uh, they don't really know what the hell I'm doing over here. Um, you know, what is this wine thing that's a, that you're doing? What do they think you're doing? They probably think I'm drinking, <laughs> <laughs> drinking a lot, which is not necessarily false. But, um, you know, they, there's a whole world out there, a whole culture that, you know, is very strong here in New York more than other cities, I suppose. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, that part, especially going home and then, you know, bringing bottles over there to drink, you know, with food, with family at the dinner table, I think that's instantly like something anybody and everybody can relate to, you know, yeah. including my family. All right. So you decide to come to New York and what's the path to where you are now? Yeah. Tell me what you did. Yeah. The original path was actually to continue on the corporate route and stay with fashion and retailing because really um because that was already what i was doing and um but i just was curious about this whole other industry that was here specifically wine and just sort of took a leap into it at amali um, a small restaurant on the upper east side on 60th and lex and at that time i wasn't committed in any way um but tried out the restaurant industry sort of in my spare time while looking for quote unquote a real job um, in the corporate sector and just promptly like 
fell into that rabbit hole with, you know, some Greek wine, you know, some fresh Assyrtiko, some Sinomavros. Those were the, some of the first wines um, I ever tasted. It wasn't like, you know, Chardonnay or Sauvignon right. Blanc. I kind of learned about those a little good later. Good stuff, though, and hot now. Yeah, really, really good stuff. Yeah. Uh, so got my first taste there and then, you know, just really pursued it seriously. You know, got involved with the, the James Beard Foundation um, with a few study grants and then the International Culinary so- uh, Center in Soho, um, which has this like really amazing sommelier program uh, run by Master Psalms, um, specifically Scott Carney, right. who, who is to this day, you know, one of my best mentors. Um, so that that year, which is 2013, was just such a a roller coaster ride because I was working, and then I was also pursuing an internship with uh, Josh Green at Wine and Spirits Magazine, and that was such a great sort of a you know jumping off the deep end, you know, and from not tasting a lot to tasting you got to taste while you yeah, were up there i did i really did they taste I was, a lot of wine then. yeah i helped you know catalog wines and right. also set up the tastings perfect. that they do every day perfect for you at that yeah. point right yeah i mean you go from tasting maybe one of a certain grape to tasting 40 in a flight and that was just education that you know i didn't know i needed but is so much you know it's so invaluable yeah uh, when i look look back at it now so you move from amelie yes you it was time. So you got your sea legs. It's like, I need to do more. Well, at that point I had just graduated the, uh, the course at the ICC, um, passed my intro and certified on the same day. And I remember Roger DeGorn, um, who's another, another, you know, old school, just legend and MS. Um, he was the one who gave me my first SOM job, you know, straight out of class. I was like, I was so flabbergasted. I'm like, I have no experience in that. And yet here you are, you know, having just seen me do a, a mock exam, like, you know, thinking I would be, you know, you know, good enough to hire as a SOM at, at a restaurant. Um, and so just took that leap with him and with then. So leaving Amali then and then joining him with a one five hospitality right. at a few places in Union Square. Right. And how long were you there? I was there for about a year and a half. And was, what type of stuff were you doing? I mean, were you getting into service and yeah. inventory and the whole shebang? It was great. Sh- I was the only uh, only wine person. I was only oh. somebody in the building there too. Okay, so it was three. It all fell on you. It all fell on me, but I guess I had you know the energy then, uh, which I still do now. But um, I was running the Fourth American Brasserie, which doesn't exist anymore. Um, we helped open up Boutique Brazilian Restaurant in the same space, and then uh, there was a Scotch Lounge on the other side um, of the building. So it really fell into you know wine, spirits, beer, the whole thing, because literally there was nobody else in the building. Um, who who had to know or who was really teaching me apart from Roger uh but of course he was at Tocqueville physically right um for the most part then so we would definitely communicate he would see me um daily but apart from actual you know service you know being there um I had that responsibility which was you know really lucky to have had um right out of the gate you felt good about that I felt good I mean as much as you yearn for some direction and oversight it's nice not yeah. to be bugged every other minute. <laughs> and Roger was good that way? Yeah, he was really good. He he was the perfect amount of uh, of teaching and also like, go go and make your own mistakes. Right. You know, and then let me know about it. That's how And then have learn. a good laugh about it. All right. So at some point you decide time to leave there. Yes. After a year and a half, um, one of my other, actually she was my classmate, Sarah Plath um, at the ICC. She's now the head som at the Nomad um, in New York. We 
reconnected and then i was you know as you do um having a drink in the library at the nomad one afternoon with guests who were visiting from out of town and she goes like oh my gosh i haven't seen you in so long you need to meet thomas and there i am you know halfway through a bottle of wine i'm like now is not a good time to meet (laughs) maybe it was (laughs) meet somebody yeah but you know that spawned into a you know us talking and then you know what eventually led to me you know pursuing pursuing the nomad how long after that meeting at the library did I'd you? say I'd say about a month after. Okay. Yeah, it was in a, it was probably a month, a month and a half, um, in in total. But conversations kind of started um, immediately. You know, just to come and check us out, and yeah. then became a bit more serious. They took a liking to you and hoped yeah. it would come to. So they hire you. So that's a different level. Yeah. I mean, that's Daniel Hum and Will Gordera. That's the yes. whole and Thomas. So you get there and. You yeah. know, what happens? Is it more structured? Is it more intense? Yes. Not- it was definitely more structured and intense in all the right ways. Um, it's just a team that has so many talented people. And, mm. you know, it's it's a hotel as well. So it's open, right. you know, every single day, morning, um, morning, lunch, and dinner. So, so it's, how big is sleep. the team? Uh, the wine team over there when I had joined was uh, seven sommeliers plus Jesus. Thomas. So there are eight people on the wine team. But... That said, you know, it was a team that actually needed that many people to function the way it did. It was amazing. Right. So you do that for about, what, three years? Yeah, just a a little under three years. Um, Very cool. And you leave what year? Um, 2018, um, at the end of February. So we're talking fairly, we're talking going into a year. Going into a year almost. So you leave there and... You go to Atomics. I do. But yeah. tell me quickly how that comes about. Yes. So this goes back a few years before then because uh, I'd been uh, I'd been eating at Atoboy um, since the very beginning. I'd met Elia before Atoboy. So Atoboy is the same chef owner Correct. as Atomics. Yes. So just to set up the connection for the yes. listeners. Yeah. So Atoboy and uh, Atomics are restaurants by uh, Chef JP Park and Elia Park. Right. And I met uh, Elia before. This had ever happened uh, when she was still at Norita. So we just kind of forged that friendship. And then when Attleboy was opening up, um, she had invited me. So I was there for, you know, the first day of friends and family and just never, essentially never left, you know, told so many, told a lot of people, you got to go to this place. It's so good. And promptly went there, you know, myself, probably the only restaurant I've actually dined at, um, you know, significantly in double digits, right? which is is pretty awesome. Yeah. So when this uh, opportunity came about um, in late, 2017 um we had started talking about it you know um at the tail end about december you know we had gone to this space which was a construction site um, and just kind of talked about it i was like you know i wouldn't have left the team for for anything else because the nomad is yeah yeah i mean that's top of the game yeah and it was best people best place correct great op yeah and really a family but there's always something worth yeah, and something worth checking out, and you know, and they were pushing so hard, and I know how you know, how much of a talent he is in the kitchen uh, with the food he's putting out. I mean, I've been eating eating his food for the last two right. years. I'm like, of course. So we uh, we essentially, you know, decided on it. I decided on it, and then he just kind of went for it, which is uh, really awesome. Did you get any uh, BS or pushback at Nomad, or they were? No, happy. I mean they were happy. They were definitely. They didn't want to see it go, but yeah, they saw it as a legit op, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's always risk with the with the openings, but they couldn't have been more supportive, especially Thomas. Right, 
And I think if you look back and it's not that long, yes, you know, you did the right thing for yourself. All right. We're going to talk a little later about the restaurant and the wine list, but I want to talk to you about a bunch of other things. Cool. Um, so I look at you and I don't think I'm wrong. I look at you as sort of a new age of sommeliers. You know, Thomas Pastuchak, who's no old guy, <laughs> but he's older than you. Yeah, you know, y- y- you're younger. You were schooled under your longer running psalms, you yes. know, like a Thomas and all that. You know, there's a lot different eating opportunities, non-traditional foods and all that. Um, so do you see a change in the industry? I mean, do you see yourself as sort of different? Do you look at differently or you apply old to new, new to new? Tell me your thoughts on that. Yeah, I mean, I can't, I can't necessarily qualify myself as a, as part of the the new guard, if you'll, if I even, you know, um, apply to that in any way. But I guess we, I am, I kind of joined, um, sort of the the sommelier community in that sort of t- 2014 kind of push, and that was when, you know, the Somme documentary was really hot. Um, people were really getting into it maybe not necessarily f- to get into the industry, but because wine and being a sommelier was beginning to be cool, um, right. quote unquote, which was, you know, not necessarily different from how I thought about it, but definitely sort of a, a different impetus for me to, to join then, um, right. than that. Um, so yeah, I think there's definitely been a, a big change. I think, you know, there are always pros and cons, but I think, you know, sommeliers now, you know, having learned from, you know, people like Scott Carney and Roger DeGoren, um, who've been in the industry for so long um, as well. I think I bring that, you know, with me um, as far as service goes, how right. and the formality of that in some ways, the, but also the tenants and, you know, yeah, all the basics exactly. are there. Um, but then, yeah, I think sommeliers now are just easy to talk to, or at least very much more apparently so than the classic sort of snooty, snobby. All right, so let's talk about sommelier, that. Yeah. So let's take that to the next step. Let's talk about how you define what the role of a sommelier is, and really through your own yeah. lens. I mean, how do you how do you do it? What how do you think it should be done? I mean, you're in a very small, intimate restaurant. Yeah, you know, not cheap. Definitely worth the money. Um, how do you define you know what a sommelier is? Yeah, so I I define a, a sommelier as being that friendly, knowledgeable person um, who can without any pressure guide you through um, what could potentially be a really sort of a intimidating document if you will that is sort of in between you and the rest of your evening right um, so I think that's really what the role of a sommelier is you know it's not just you know pointing to a bottle of wine on right. a wine list but really sort of sussing out um, what the person in front of you really wants to drink and how that's going to add to you know the final you know, the final thing on the at the dinner table. Right. So we agree that not recently, but many years past, it was kind of a stuck up, intimidating thing. It's less of that. There are still people like that. Yeah. But you're there for people. But you know, what about the guy who comes in and is still intimidated? You pick up on that and try to, you yeah, know absolutely. You, is that easy to spot? It is. I think I think you know, it really is. There's two things. There's the guy who's just a deer in the headlights and wants to order the right thing. And then I think there's the guy 
who thinks he knows everything and wants <laughs> to impress his friends or his girlfriend or whatever yes. and doesn't know what the hell he's doing yes. you know, and pushes you aside. I mean, how do you handle that stuff? Yeah, I mean, I, f- I think just being a hospitality professional, um, you just have to you know, kind of take different personalities, often at the same time, especially at, um, at Atomics where service happens. Everybody gets seated at the same time and kind of be flexible. It's a time seating. It is. Right. Yeah. So you have to be flexible and in some ways just know to, know how to interact with, with different guests and kind of, um, you know, kind of know what they want and need before they even say it or with the little information that they, they give you. Um, and I think that's also part of the challenge and the fun of being um, a sommelier is because it's it's a little higher stakes. You know, people are spending, you know, a good amount of money on, on a bottle of wine, whether it's a $50 bottle or something greater. Um, and so kind of uh, speaking with people and kind of getting that information, which sometimes they're not so easy to... I was going to ask, do most yeah. people reveal or do you have to pull it out of them? Or Yeah, some people, people who dine out regularly no. um, know how to how to converse and how to this is w- what i like to drink this is how much i want to spend this is how i feel today and that you could yeah. match that up yeah what's, what's the hard like? end of that you yeah know, people who i i don't know what i like or what had yeah the thing uh, the hard part there is like especially the, the question like well what do you like to drink <laughs> i'm like well right. I, I know what i like to drink but you may not necessarily like what, yeah. it, what i like to drink and wine's even a little different yeah. than food i think i think so too so you have to kind of pull out of them. Yes, you know, and you, you try to get creative um, with this as well. You know, with with now, which is kind of crazy for me to um, to see now as well, but people are asking me, like, how do you kind of go about um, doing this at the dinner table for, you know, some colleagues who are starting to learn wine over at Atoboy and, and Atomix? Like, how do you get that information out? And just, just be calm, be friendly, and you ask them the right questions. and. Well, you have a good yeah. face. You have a good personality. <laughs> I mean, you're you're in a very compl- complimentary way. You're not an intimidating guy. I mean, I think people will, you know, connect with you. Um, you know, there's been a lot of changes in restaurants. Restaurants are more intimate. I think your places like that. Um, yes. I think more tasting counters exist than 5, 10, 15, 20 years ago. Yeah. That's different. Uh, casual dining is is kind of big, and I think the diversity of foods. Yes. You know, it used to be Italian, French, Amer- you know. Now, God knows. Um, I guess that makes it better for you. It makes it more interesting. Yes, in that yeah. sense, for sure. Especially in in the city, I, f- I feel like it's all about you know trying something, trying something new. We're always sort of on the search for well something new, but also something that's really good. Right, um, and that that is really exciting. What um, so you said everyone sits down together? Yeah, so it's an interesting. How uh, many seats are there? Yeah, so Atomics is tiny. We ha- we do two seatings a night, and we have fourteen seats. So it could be seven couples. It could be a yeah. few couples and a foursome. Exactly. So you have to get started and kind of go around the horn and yes, get the wine service going. Yes, we'll talk about it in a second. But you have pairings plus you have the full wine list. Mm-hmm. How many people do the pairings on an average night and how many people order a bottle of wine? Yeah, I'd say about 30% of guests um, will do the pairing in the so that, night. So that makes it easy because you predetermine that. Exactly. Um, and then the rest? And the rest are either doing something by the glass and or by the bottle. Right, but not yeah. the pairing setup and yes. all that. Yeah. Um, all right, let's talk about 
I'm curious because you have an interesting list and you have to curate the list and you have your own interests. Let's talk about wines, winemakers, regions, grapes that are exciting you right now. Yeah. I mean, what 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 are you drawn to? What are you drinking? I mean, give me more than a few things. Yeah. I mean, just um, I'm just really drawn to, well, I think I, as a general category, I think white wines are um, are something that I've been focusing on at least for the last year, just because it's a main focus of the food, um, the food and the the wine program that um, I've been trying to cultivate over at Atomix. It just works so well. Um, you can go through the whole meal and you know not necessarily have a drop of red, and you I don't think you would feel like you left you left dinner not having right. enough of something. Right. Um, it's a really so that that as a general category has been. Um, has been really interesting for me to dive in. And then the, you run the so game. So you're trying here. to expand your horizons yeah. on whites more than anything. Exactly. And in, Any regions or? Yeah, I mean, the rabbit hole that is Burgundy is still you okay. know, a favorite for me. Um, but then there are others, of course. But stay with Burgundy yeah. for a second. Sure. There's your classic Burgundy. Are there any areas that fan out a little that are good values or make it good wines? Yeah, I mean, honestly, some of the best producers. I mean, you're, we're talking humble Bourgogne Blanc here, right? Um, and that can be an amazing um, value at the dinner table. We're talking about generic, quote unquote, white Burgundy uh, Chardonnay, um, and it's it's mo- most basic accessible form from really wonderful producers. Like for example, Chantarev um, is, is one producer. It's a C H A N T E R E V E S. Chantarev. Yeah. So Bourgognon. Or uh, Bourgogne Blanc, for Bourgogne example. Blanc. Yeah. Okay. So their their Chardonnay is like just really crystalline, pure. Um, a great example of sort of a smaller producer that is making waves right now um, in the industry. And then you can branch off from there too. You know, a little bit outside of Burgundy, you go to the Jura or Savoie. Okay. And then you'll find other producers um, that are just making some some classic juice that is shards or whites. Yeah, I mean, there's some Chardonnays there. Uh, you can branch out to a, a grape called Sauvignon right. um, from the Jura. Uh, that can Not Sauvignon or Sauvignon. It's S-A-V-A-G-I-N. N-I-N. N-I-N, Sauvignon. Sauvignon, yeah. So, so that's can, a that's a nice white. That's a ni- nice white grape producing, you know, a different different. Give me a maker or two that are, that's making good Sauvignon. Yeah, so I'd say Domaine du Pelican. Um, who has roots in Burgundy? Right, um, is producing. Isn't that D'Angerville? Yeah, that's yes. Marky D'Angerville's right. project. Okay, so that's that's pretty amazing um, for over there. And then Philippe Bernard um, is another producer. So spell B E R B O R N A R D. Philippe so Bernard. Philippe Bernard. Okay, um, another producer. I guess this one's a little bit more on the um, sort of rustic side of winemaking, and you know, just really rugged in all the right ways here on the palate. What uh, get me out of Burgundy and France? So yeah. there are other whites. You're staying on the white thing that are you yes. know interesting and compelling to you. Restaurant, both separate. Yes, yeah. Let's jump on to Portugal. Um, okay. Yeah, I did bring a, a Portuguese white today. Yeah, um, we're gonna try. We're gonna a, try uh, it shortly. Uh, Portuguese yeah. white for um, our weekly wine sip. So tell me about what's going on there. Yeah. So I was able to. Uh, this was inspired by a travel. Um, through Portugal in 2016 and just tasting through uh, different regions, different wines, and which is so shocked at how delicious the <coughs> wines were and how well they they go with food. You know, you, you have a plate of bacalao and a glass of white Famous wine. Famous there. Yeah. And Shrimp. 
Exactly. And, you know, you have a bit of white wine with just great acidity from grape varieties you've probably, you know, you don't see often like Rabigatu, for example, right. Gouveyu, Viuzinu, um, grape varieties that have been grown there for hundreds of years and are indigenous to the country, but, you know, doesn't get that much mainstream love because A, they're hard to pronounce um, and they're not well represented, right. but then they're just, you know, a source of great and Portugal so well yeah. known for their red wines. Exactly. I mean, by acreage, a lot of it goes into port, which, yes. you know, is known. Yeah. Um, give me a couple of Portuguese white suggestions that you yes. like. There's, a, there's another husband and wife producer I love. It's called Casa de Muraz. So that's M-O-U-R-A-Z. Okay. Um, they're located in the uh, in the Dao region okay. um, of Portugal. And they make, the grape here is called Encruzado. Um, and it's a, just a lean, really mildly waxy white grape that I think goes well with food. Good acidity. Um, great acidity. You know, nothing. What's the waxy gives it some richness or just yeah, texture? Just a little bit of texture on okay. the palate. Not too acidic for those who are right. kind of uh, um, veering away from that. But think of this as your all around, you know, you could have this at the dinner table every night and, and not get tired of right. it. Give yeah. me one more. Yeah. Apart from that, uh, the Duru Valley, um, which is... You know, undoubtedly one of the most beautiful places. I was just um, there. We were talking about it. It's gorgeous. Yeah, it's gorgeous. I mean, the river runs through these hilly vineyards. The, the wineries are on the mountain. It just goes on and on. It's really. Yeah. So tell me some of the whites that are. Yeah. So mostly you'll see field blends here. So it's going to depend producer to producer. but um, And we'll taste this later too. But Luis Siabra. Right. Um, is another producer that's is in the Douro. Is in the Douro Valley producing some amazing whites. Another big classic, Niport, which is a, a port house. He's oh. he's experimenting, right? Yeah. He's making some amazing white wines of, of great pedi- pedigree there as well. Are they accessible or they're hard to get the Niport wines? I think they're getting more and more accessible. Yeah, especially at least here in New York, they're right. They're definitely you'll see them more often. New York, the bigger cities. Yeah. All right. So those are some good recos. I'm gonna, you know, everything we talk about, I'll post on our social media, um, so we could talk about that. Uh, Jonelle, we're gonna take a quick break. When we come back, we're talking to Jonelle Fellner. Um, he is the head psalm at Atomics in New York City. When he comes back, I have a few more questions for him, and I want to talk about his wine program over there. You're listening to The Grape Nation. We'll be right back. This episode is presented by Henry's Wine and Spirit, a go-to shop for anyone interested in natural wines and boutique spirits. There's a large selection of everything from orange wines, pet gnats, and reds from around the world. Whether visiting the shop in person or online, looking for a gift for a loved one, or that everyday dependable bottle, you're sure to find lots of interesting wines at Henry's. There's free shipping on orders over $300 on the website henrys.nyc and case discounts when you visit the store located in Bushwick. Cheers! All right, we're back. We're back with my guest, Jonel Fallner. Jonel's the head psalm at arguably one of the hottest restaurants in New York, Atomics. It's a small Korean uh, 
how would you describe it, John L? It's counter. Yes, I'd tasting. say it's a, it's a tasting menu format by uh, Chef JP and Elliot Park, um, consisting of 10 courses. We do two seatings a night um, and 14 seats, so we do 28 people. That's it. That's it. Must be easy to get a reservation. <laughs> Getting harder and harder. So physically, it's not your typical setup because you're not table hopping. You're walking yes. around a counter and all of that. Correct. All right, so let's talk about... Uh, the food, the wine, um, the times. Pete Wells gave the restaurant three stars, which is you know one star from the top, which is a very rare error. Um, the restaurant received one Michelin star out of the shoot, which yes. is a big deal. Um, and it's run by a uh, chef and his wife. All right, so let's talk about the wine list. Yeah, the wine list. For that restaurant, is how big? So the wine list um, right now is just under 400 selections, and it's a uh, it's mostly geared towards uh, white wine. So over 50 percent, about 60 percent of the list is. You alluded to it before, but why is it heavy white? Yeah, because it truly does work well with the food, um, which is very seafood I mean, fish centric. Yes, or, okay. at the moment at least, it could right. change menu to menu. But for the last three menus we've had, right. it's predominantly been you know not necessarily delicate flavors. For sure, there are some delicate flavors in there, but flavors that you just don't want to mask by sort of uh, even even the lightest reds would sort of uh, right. just not go well with. Uh, but so whites just really elevate, and I think just add a little little seasoning to the. the and whites there. from where? Where are the? Yeah. How would you break it down? Not exactly, but mostly French. Yeah, I mean, you would see a lot of French, a lot of white Burgundy for sure, Rieslings from all over, from the Finger Lakes in upstate New York to Germany to Austria, um, and then you'll have sort of a, a fun mixed bag of of different whites as well. And we have a red section too that's a bit on the mixed side of things where you have Vermentino from Corsica, you have a little bit of Rotgiffler from Austria, sort of grape varieties that don't necessarily fit with uh, any classic category, right. but I think, you know, belongs at the dinner Two table. great wine. I mean, Vermentino's yeah. a great uh, exactly. drinking wine for food and all of that. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of, Korean food has a lot of, cured foods and a lot of fermented foods not that the menu is consumed with that but more than other restaurants you yeah. know there's stuff like that actually it's con it is consumed by it, Bec it in, is? In, in a way that there is probably no dish that doesn't have a component that that isn't fermented it's just in very intrinsic to a to Chef JP's cooking, which is so exciting because we have a little spot in the restaurant in the dining room at Atomix where you'll you'll see some of the experiments that, you know, are just biding its time, fermenting in silence, waiting right. for, you know, the light of day to be used coming in the alive. menu. Yeah. yeah. Does that make it harder to pair wines? I mean, obviously you settle on whites and certain types, you know, that yes. are good food wines. Acid. But isn't that a tough thing to pair with? Uh, yes and no. I think, I think just because... I've been eating his food at Attaboy for, for a while. That's given me a good insight as to sort of where his flavor, um, where his palate um, is. Uh, but also, like fermented foods, naturally have just a great amount of acidity. And then, if you know, using that as sort of the hook, it's easy to find wines that um, just really match well with the other flavors of the food. If you're matching acidity with acidity, it's it's something that you know is a recipe for success. I think. Right. Yeah. Um, 
So the food definitely plays into the wines that you select. Absolutely. I mean, that, that, yeah. And I guess seasonally it'll change, so you have to stay on your toes yes. to yeah. you know keep all of that. Absolutely. Um, we talked before about the fact that besides the wine list, you curate a pairing. Yes. And... You said the meal is 10 courses. Yes. You pair how many wines yeah. for that? So we have, uh, right now we have seven different wines wow. um, to go along with the 10 courses. And it's a, it's, it really is a motley crew of, uh, of different styles and grape varieties. Throw out um, some of the things. You know, we looked at the list. I mean, it goes from California to yeah. Sauternes. Yeah. To, to, you know, let's talk about some yeah. of the things you put on there. Sure. I, probably one of the most exciting ones for me is probably the first wine I pour is it's a 2009 Chenin Blanc from the Loire Valley from a Clos de la Meslerie, really tiny estate in Vouvray. And this is this wine is actually a moyu, uh, meaning it's it's sweet. Um, it's not going to be a dry wine, but then there's so much acidity in this wine that um, you barely taste sort of that sweetness on the palate. It, in, instead, it becomes this roundness that really works well with the fermented carrot sauce and the sort of the raw fish <laughs> dish that we right. that it's paired with. So that's one wine that's really. Um, Really amazing. We have a 1998 Semillon from uh, Yarra Yering from Victoria. Australia. I'm in Australia. And that's, you know, a little bit of skin contact there and definitely a mild nutty note that, you know, comes with age for sure, but works well with, you know, the courses that it goes with, you know, like a white kimchi sauce right. um, that com- comes with a, with a steamed crab or like a, like a lacto-fermented potato pancake. Um, that we make as well. It's there's so much fermentation, and you know I'm kind of playing with those flavors too. Do you sit with Chef JP? Do you figure out what you think goes well, and do you run it by him? Does he ask you what we're doing? Does he entrust you? I mean, how does that process work? Yeah, you're totally right. There's a lot of trust that happens here. Um, That's good, especially because um, so he's not micromanaging. What not are we necessarily. Doing? Do this, uh, do that. If anything, he's just kind of curious to taste it right. too. A good um, thing, which is like, a great what are we thing. doing here? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So we get to R and D when the kitchen is putting together the next menu. Um, you know, I'm there, sort of sitting in on that tasting, um, just kind of tasting through the ideas, and then when that comes to fruition, which is usually just about a week before we go live with the menu, um, we taste it again, and then I just bring a smattering of different wines, not necessarily the wine I'm thinking to pair with it, but like a style that I think would work. And then if it does work, you know, branch out from there and then start right. to nail the actual actual wine we're going to pour. Right. Um, let me ask you this before we go into our wine list, which I want to subject you to. Um, your feelings on natural wines. Yeah, I absolutely. mean, not, you know, like Frenchette, the whole wine list is mm-hmm. natural. I mean, that's not what you're doing there. But wh- where is natural wine at in your mind and out there yeah i'd say uh, well natural wine definitely is a is a point in contention in many uh many many conversations these days my stand on it is just you know i just want to drink and also serve well-made wine in whichever shape or form that that comes in i think natural wine sometimes can become more of a marketing um, sort of situation. Um, I think, you know, a lot of wines have, wines have been made naturally for hundreds right. of years. Nobody Some was of the calling most it famous, right. Exactly. Nobody was calling it natural then. And I, I understand the need today for a bit more visibility. I mean, we are ingesting 
the liquid that is in the glass. Um, so knowing As people what, are obsessed with organic foods. Exactly. I think this definitely comes with the times and it's, it's a worthy conversation to be had. But, you know, for myself, it's not necessarily something that adds to the conversation for me. I'm not going to like the wine more or less because it's right nat- it's about the wine natural, yeah natural exactly is important to you yeah. but it's it's not the total focus yeah and you also have to think about the capacity to age um of these wines as well and stability when you're shipping you know right. there's a whole other logistical and pragmatic side of things when it comes that, to that that's getting better and that's yeah. being addressed but that's definitely an issue mm-hmm. um that that's interesting all right, so I want to subject you to our wine list. We ask all our guests to uh, answer the wine list. It's five questions, same five questions to everybody. Don't obsess, don't dwell on them. Awesome. Buzz through them because we want to taste a little of the wine. We may have a few more questions. All right, so the first question is, what are you drinking now? And that's in the context of what are you enjoying? What are you tasting for the restaurant? What's in your fridge? What's on your table? Is it seasonal? What are you drinking right now? Not not the Ciabra, <laughs> but what like what? What am I drinking in general right now? now? Yeah, um, I'd say I'm drinking. I'm drinking a bit of red right now. So Sir, okay, Syrah, Mr. White just went I red know, on me. Just went red. Okay, um, Syrah from the Rhone Valley. Okay, uh, it's something I've what do you been like? enjoying. Um, I'm I've particularly been interested in Cote Roti. Um, okay, as an there's one on your tasting. There is uh, one. You're I'm by tasting. the glass. Correct. Is that yeah. something you like? I do. It's from a Louis Barrule. So it's Spell Barrule for me. It's a B A R R U O L. And that's a Cote Roti. It's a Cote Roti, um, specifically Neve, which is a site in the Cote Brune. Gets a lot of sunlight, old vines. You get a lot of this sort of a black pepper, olive tapenade note. Really, the classic. Floral. Yeah, the classic notes you get. Just really nuanced. Is that? Is that seasonal? I mean, it got cold and it feels good to drink that, or you just got steered to that anyway? Yeah, I'd say it's a, I'm always moody when it comes to sort of what's tickling my fancy okay. as far as wine goes. I just, I've been kind of uh, just drinking that. <laughs> All right, good one. Do you have, you spent many nights at uh, Attaboy, do you have a favorite wine and food pairing? Do you have something you go back to, something that's, ah, uh, oh, wow, what? Yeah, I'd say aged Riesling. And the, at the food at Attaboy? Yeah. I say H. Riesling. I remember this. Uh, H. Riesling and what? Um, the food. Give me something. Spe- yeah. Specific. That, you know, that's yeah. a perfect. I think it was a sort of a, a maitake mushroom sort of soy glazed, like very mm. vegetable focused dish. Um, it was during one of the collaborations that um, I think worked really well. So um, when you, the wine and the mushrooms, you threw it all down. I was like, whoa. I was like, like, oh my gosh. Okay. Yeah. Good one. All right. You... You're a pretty busy guy, but you get out and about every now and then. And I don't want you to be inclusive or exclusive, but tell me favorite wine restaurant and or bars. Tell me who's doing a good job out there. Where would you hang out? Yeah, I don't really get out. Sam, you don't? <laughs> no, I'm just joking. Um, you got to get out more. Yeah, man. I know. I really do. Um, when I do get out, um, I definitely want to shout out um, Narita. Okay. Um, I think they have an awesome, you know, still under the radar wine program run by Jin An. Um, and that's also a place, you know, that's a place where I met Elliot Park right. way back when. And I just enjoyed his work um, from the get-go. So I'd say I'd say that spot for okay. sure. Uh, anything else? Yeah, I'd on? say Racines, um, which is Pascaline. I mean, that's she's, definitely a no-brainer Yeah, um, with I that. Mean, and she's an entity in herself. In herself. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it's fun to be there, be with for her. For sure. Those are two good ones. Yeah. Um, 
Do you at this point have a favorite all-time wine or wines or an experience that involved a wine that you know you could single out or a couple instances? Oh wow, that's a really hard question. What um, comes to mind? I mean, it does. Yes. I always say this: it doesn't have to be the rarest, the most expensive. Yes. Sometimes it was the experience more than the wine, and the wine was there for the ride. That's what true. comes to mind? Yeah. Well, the first thing that really popped in my head was a. Uh, my taste of it was an older Bordeaux. Um, this was a Chateau Le Pen, 1982, um, and I think that just kind of uh, it was Great the first vintage year. Yeah, that it was, was the Robert Parker vintage. Yeah, year it was the first time I was tasting through sort of as a young som. Um, it just yeah, it was just in a sea of the first growths of the 82s, which I was already flabbergasted and blown away, blown away by this wine. Just kind of stood out it sort was. of a spotlight on it i was like what is i mean this? it's a great wine and a great vintage year yeah so it caught you at the right time it really did all right last question i ask everybody this you should be able to handle it <laughs> best wine around 15 20 bucks retail give me a red give me a white this is my setup every week. It's boring. My mm -hmm. kids are about your age. They're going to a party. They're making a few bucks. They don't want to bring a sucky wine. Yes. You know, they don't want to spend eight. They don't want to spend 40. They yes. want to spend 20. They're bringing a red and a white. What's the play? Yeah. Let's see here. I'd you say. You give me region, maker. You could say muscadet, you know. Just yes. I'd say Ava Fricka, Riesling, oh. Trocken from the Rheingau. Um, F-R-I-C-K-E. Yes. Ava Fricka. Ava Fricka. Riesling, Trocken. And that's 20 bucks or less? Probably about there. Okay. Yeah. So I think that, great would one. Be, that would be a great wine. And let's start with New York. The, yeah. The, the wine stores you would expect have it? Absolutely. Okay. I think they would definitely see it. All right. Give me a red. Yeah. For the red, um, let's see here. <laughs> the red seems to be a little bit harder to find. Um, well, you're such a white... I know. You know, so obsessed guy currently. Yeah, I would say uh, Jean-Baptiste Jean Suyard from the Northern Rhone. He has this uh, amazing... Jean-Baptiste, spell the last name. Suyard is a S-O-U-I-L-L-A-R-D. Okay, and where was that again? This is from the Northern Rhone. This is 100% Syrah. Okay. And this is, you know, Vin de France. It's not even, you know... Right. Yeah, it's not even Cote de Rhone. It's, it's Vin de France from... Different it's not parcels. even Cote d'Iron. Yeah. It's like the level below it. Exactly. It's okay. a generic French red, but this guy, he's a young winemaker and just... It's good stuff. It's really good stuff. And that's 15, 20 bucks? Yeah, it should be. All right. So like I said earlier, um, we're going to post all those because I figured I can get a few good recos out of you. <laughs> all right, Joe Nell, we're going to end this show. We're not ending now, but we're going to end the show soon. Um, with our feature, the weekly wine sip. Every week we taste a different wine on air for our weekly wine sip. I asked Jonelle if he'd be kind and gracious enough to bring in a wine. Um, more important to me, it's you know what he has access to and what he selected. Um, so this week we're tasting a 2016 Louis Siabra Zisto Crew. Yeah, Shisto right? Crew. Yeah. And that's from Portugal, which we were talking about, and it's from the Douro Valley. Um, and I think Siabra was a winemaker with Neport. He was, yeah. Um, and this is a field blend, right? It this is. is a bunch of all right. So tell me more, even though I said everything. Yeah. And so pour me some while we're talking. Absolutely. Let's get a buzz on here, will you? Let's do it. All right. 
So now that our glasses are filled. Tell me a little um, more about this. So I actually tasted uh, with Luis Sierra in the Dura Valley when I was visiting then, and he was showing off his first vintages, which I was just really rocked by. These um, are his first vintages since he left? Since he left, yeah. Really? Which is, I think, 13 may have been the first one. Oh, really? Okay. Um, and then 14s were you know, just about available in the U.S. then. Um, so the grapes here in the Shista crew really literally translated crew means raw. So raw. this is raw schist um, is the, the actual name of the wine. And the, the main grape here is called Rabigatu right. with a little bit of Kodiga and um, Guveu blended in. So classic field spell blend here. the middle grape. Spell that for me. Kodiga. Yeah. It's a C-O-D-E-G-A. Kodiga. Okay. Yeah. These are, these are grapes that you'll never really find um, alone or predominantly in a, in a blend. Uh, but Rabigatu definitely is. It has this just amazing texture. Right. Um, so just, it kind of reminds me of a, a Chenin Blanc in some ways, mm. just so you can, you know, listeners can have a little bit of um, something to uh, anchor themselves onto. It's got great acidity. All right. So let's texture. let's go through the vitals. Color. Yeah. It's got a light pale yellow, right? Yeah, pale yellow. Um, give me the nose. Yeah. I'm so deferring to you because I know what I smell, but I can't articulate. So what sure. are we smelling here? Um, well, off the bat, I'm getting something, you know, very citrus driven. Yes. So a lot of citrus here, but not just like plain, there's fresh citrus, but also a bit of a sort of a, a candied or cooked citrus um, thing happening here, like a Meyer lemon, uh, Meyer lemon cake um, sort right. of situation. A little sweeter than yes. the tart citrus, which is nice. Yeah. There's a bit of a honeyed note that kind of jumps out of the glass mm. as well. For sure. Yeah. Um, let's go mouthfeel. It's got a nice full... It, it's not yeah. a thin, it's, it's, it's not, a mouth-filling wine. It is. It's got a lot of texture on the palate. Mm. Um, and a you're little, right. A little acidity. Yeah. Not great, crazy, but not crazy, yeah. on the tongue. Yeah. It's got great, it's a little unctuous on the palate, yeah, which is really... medium, medium plus yeah, for a white. For All right. Sure. Do the Do the nose descriptors translate to the palate? Tell me what you so. get on the palate. Let's, yeah. let's throw it over the tongue, swish it around. Tell me what else you get. Yeah, so I'm getting like this, um, a little salinity on the palate, which yeah. is what I love about Dura Valley Whites. They're all, always almost a little a little salty because of that, you it's know. so subtle. So subtle. I mean, works so well. Exactly. And I think it's it's almost like when you have it with food, just a little sprinkling of uh, that citrus and that salt that just makes everything. So you get a little citrus, better. a little salt, anything else that... Yeah, is prominent. A really awesome earthiness. I think there's a little bit of uh, just sort of a light, sort of earthen mushroomy note coming out here in the glass, sort mm. of in the background. It's a delicious wine. Yeah. Now, fortunately, it's delicious. Unfortunately, but not unrealistic. It's not cheap, cheap. It's true. It's uh, it's about a fifty, sixty dollar bottle of wine, but it's a special bottle of wine. I mean, it's yes. you know for a nice dinner with nice food, and it's about as good a white as you're going to taste. What foods would we pair this with? Um, I'd say you can run the gamut here. You can you can go for something raw, maybe like a base Gallup ceviche, um, and so you can ceviche? go. Yeah, you could do that acid driven stuff. You can also go for something a little bit meatier, say like a grilled fish in a white sauce, or even even a little bit of pasta. Mm. Um, I think would work really pretty well versatile. Here. Yeah, it yeah. really is. So that's the 2016 Louis Siabra Gisto Cru. Louis, Luis was the winemaker at Nearport. He's now out there making his own wines and leave it to a guy like Jonel to kind of taste it and, um, you know, put it out there. Is this available at the restaurant? It is available at the restaurant. Okay. Yeah. 
All right, so like I said, I'm going to post all that stuff. Jonelle, we got to wrap the show up. Um, things went pretty quickly. I could sit here and talk to you for <laughs> hours. So that means at some point you're going to have to come back. We'll Jonelle's going to be at Riesling Fire this weekend, right? Yes, I'll be there uh, on Saturday. one of the serving psalms. Are you there during the day and at night or just at night? Just at night, but okay. you can be. I'll, I'll be there during the day to taste through as well. Okay. Um, all right. If you have a question, suggestion, wine happening, or event, hit me up at sam at thegrapenation.com. That's sam at thegrapenation.com. Follow us on Facebook at The Grape Nation. Follow us on Instagram at SBenRuby. And you can follow the hashtag The Grape Nation. On Twitter, we're at BenRuby. Also, subscribe to The Grape Nation podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify. Um, we're going to post Jonelle's wine list and our weekly wine sip on all our social media sites so you know what we're talking about. Um, where can we find you and Atomics on social? Yeah, so you can find us at Atomics NYC and you'll okay. find us there and follow A T O M I X NYC. NYC. And, also, and what if people want to get into your shit? Yeah, come on in. We're right on 30th and Park. Um, and. It's right there at that corner in that small residential building. Um, come visit. You know, the bar is walk-in friendly. Come have a drink. Okay. And what about your social? Oh, my social is at Jonel Felinar. So it's J-H-O-N-E-L-F-A-E-L-N-A-R. Just like you thought. Yeah. All right. So I want to thank our guest, Jonel Felinar. Um, Jonel is the... Uh Head Psalm at Atomics, one of the more exciting restaurants. Um, he's dealing with uh, a very cool, small, curated wine list, some interesting food, a three-star restaurant. So congrats and kudos to you. I want to thank our engineer, Noam, and I want to thank everyone at the Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sam Ben Ruby, and you've been listening to The Grape Nation. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.